Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to welcome you to another edition of the Pastor's Office. And let me let me let me start out by saying thank you, uh, thank you to all of the listeners that have emailed, uh, sent uh, text messages or instant messages to our Instagram and our Facebook page. Uh, offering condolences on the passing of my mother. Uh, I want you to know that you helped uh, to make this time of bereavement, which clearly is not over, uh, a true, uh, easier path to navigate. Uh, Knowing that people care, knowing that people love you, uh, it it just, I don't know, it it brought many smiles to my face, uh, even as we celebrated the home going of my mother. Uh, I certainly want to thank many of the elected leaders of the city who sent resolutions and letters and who made calls uh, to let me know that they were thinking about me and my family. Uh, Let me, let me say this to you and, and we're going to get to our guest here very quickly, but there's nothing like a mother. I've learned that there's nothing like a mother. Uh, and I used to say to people, uh, as my mother battled through this thing called Alzheimer's, uh, that, you know, I'd be okay when she passed because the mother that I knew over a period of time as she battled this disease, that mother had left. That mother had left, the one that I had conversations with, the one that nurtured me, the one that, that, that raised me, you know, the person that was still here at 89 and 90 years old was not that same person. And, and, and I got to tell you something. I lied. I absolutely lied. And I realized that I was making those statements just to potentially cushion the impact. Uh, or as a as a denial of what was really there, um, the passing of my mother uh, has been real, uh, and the pain has been real, uh, and I've just realized that in life there is nothing uh, like a mother's love. And so again, I say thank you to all of you. We had an amazing homegoing service, uh, over five hundred people in attendance. And as I share with you, when we did our tribute show, I had to stand and preach my mother's eulogy. Uh, and that was one of the toughest assignments I've ever had in this life. Uh, but we're thankful. And now we're just getting new, used to our new normal uh, of living life uh, without her physical presence here on earth. But yet her memory, uh, the memory of her uh, lasting uh, in our minds. So 
Again, Philly's favorite, thank you. I love you. I appreciate you, and I'm so glad to have you as an extended part of my family. And I also want to thank you for giving me grace to miss a week last week, uh, to just take a little time for reflection uh, and introspection. Uh, But we're back, and there's been a lot going on uh, in the city of Philadelphia uh, during the time that we've been away. Uh, One of the major things that has transpired is the resignation of Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw, the first black female commissioner of the city of Philadelphia. Uh, She has resigned her position to take a new job uh, with the Port Authority of New Jersey and New York. And so I thought it would be appropriate. I thought it would be relevant for us today to really talk about the legacy uh, of Police Commissioner Outlaw. Uh, What did she do for the city? What didn't she do for the city? Uh, You know, if you've been listening to the show over the last three years, she's been on our program, I believe, two or three times. Uh, We've had great conversations with her about her plans and about the things that she has been working on. But as of this week, she resigned, and I believe that takes effect on September the 22nd. Uh, So I wanted to bring someone in that could speak to her impact on the city. I wanted to bring someone in who has followed her career here in the city, who's written about her uh, on numerous occasions, uh, and that is none other than Abdul Ali A. Muhammad. He is a writer. He is an activist. Uh, he is also the founder of the Black and Brown Workers Co-op. Uh, and so I want to welcome him into the pastor's office for the very first time. Uh, Abdul Ali A. Muhammad, welcome into the pastor's office. How are you this afternoon? Hello, Pastor. I'm doing all right. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. It sounds like you are in Center City moving to and fro. (laughs) I am actually in New York City moving to and fro. All right. Uh, I apologize for some of the noise behind me. No, um, no problem. No problem. So first, what I just want to establish is just tell us about your work. Uh, and, and as my listeners would like to say, all right, uh, you know, we all have an opinion on Danielle Outlaw. We all have an opinion mm-hmm. on uh, Kenny. We all have an opinion on our elected officers. But I want to help them understand why we brought you on today to talk about Commissioner Outlaw. Talk to us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to our audience. Absolutely. First, I do want to extend my condolences to you, Pastor, on oh. on the loss of your mom. Thank you your so mother. much. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I lost my mother in 2012. And what resonates about what you said is that, yeah, mother's love is something that, you know, is is invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's no question about you, it. And, 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 you know, the one thing that um, I'm sure you can testify to is there's some mm-hmm. days you wake up uh, and it feels like it was just yesterday that, that she passed away. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I thank you for that, sir. I really appreciate that. But again, I'm I'm glad to have you in here. Talk to us about yourself. Yeah, so I I'm an organizer. I've been organizing most of my adult life um, around different issues pertaining to Black folks. 
Um, and in 2016, I co-founded an organization called the Black and Brown Workers Co-op, which did a lot of work around um, nonprofit spaces in Philadelphia um, and the way that they treated frontline staff um, who were mostly black and brown. Um, and you probably know about my work around Starbucks when the two young black men were racially profiled. I had previously worked at Starbucks. And I was a part of a coalition which did a lot of actions around that time to call into question the tactics that, you know, Starbucks management used against the two black young men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I write a lot. I'm a freelance writer. I've written a lot um, about Daniel Outlaw and the city in general um, for the Philadelphia Inquirer, including breaking the story about the Penn Museum holding the remains of black girls who were murdered in the move bombing. Um, and we did a I, show I, just, just not to interrupt you, but we did a show yeah. about that uh, several months ago. That was, wow. That, 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 that was, that was horrible. It, it yeah. was really horrible. And I commend you for breaking that story, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, thank you for uplifting that. It was truly horrible what happened and what continues to happen. And um, I would say in terms of my relevant position in talking about Daniel Outlaw, I was a part of the advisory committee that the controller's office under Rebecca Reinhardt, uh, who, who reviewed and it was a part of the investigation into how, you know, how that response, the police response was handled. And so I was a part of that whole process, learned a lot of information on background about that day and what happened and what didn't happen. And I also researched um, the police commissioner um, in her previous positions in Portland. Um, so I, I have some, some knowledge about what happened on that day because of the purview I had being on that committee and also doing my own research and understanding what, what transpired that day in Philadelphia where tear gas was, uh, you know, enacted on on protesters in West Philly and elsewhere. Right, right. And we're talking about the Black Lives Matter protest that took place back in 2021, uh, where the city's response was definitely uh, held under great scrutiny and seen by many as extreme in that particular instance. So so bottom line is, you know the police commissioner, you've studied the police commissioner, you've got a great amount of information on the police commissioner. Let's just go back to her appointment. Uh, I can tell you the community, I'm talking about our community, was excited when she was appointed uh, as the police commissioner of Philadelphia. We got a black woman coming into Philadelphia, a city that, you know, is, is, is a black and brown city in many respects, uh, who would have the sensitivity uh, to the things that we're dealing with, what we're going through. Uh, we were excited. She's also a member of a Greek letter organization, so she understands. Our, I mean, there were just so many positives. Here's my question to you, my brother. Was the experience, was the term, was her time in office, was it positive for Philadelphia? I would say unequivocally it was not positive for Philadelphia. I mean, under her her watch and her authorization, honestly, we saw 
rubber bullets being deployed um, against peaceful protesters on 52nd Street. We saw the, you know, honing in on protesters on I-676 and the use of tear gas there and elsewhere in the city. Uh, the death of Walter Wallace, uh, the death of Eddie Irizarry. Um, you have these big moments when the city could have responded differently, and they didn't. Um, and so I, I think that history will see her as continuing the kind of brutal force that she, you know, did or instituted in Portland and Philadelphia. I think you will see a continuation of this thread of, of, of overblown response to, to events. Um, under her tenure? You know, I, I mean, certainly our city uh, has a history of violent responses to protesters, violent responses to to crime. I mean, you know, we are the city that, uh, that produced Frank Rizzo. And to hear you say that Commissioner Outlaw continued in that tradition uh, based on your research, based on everything that you've seen uh, during her time period. You know, get, let's give our audience a little bit of context. Why do you think her style uh, leaned in that direction? Thank you for that question. So, you know, I think we should back up to when Mayor Kenny hires Outlaw, right? He's looking for a, a different direction for the police department. You had scandal, which included... Um, sexual assault allegations and other forms of discrimination within the PPD. And so he was looking for a shiny thing, right? And oftentimes in moments of crises, you'll have institutional responses be, okay, well, black women were harmed, so let's put a black woman in power, right? Or black people want to see a black face. Um, and so that's what happened with Outlaw. And in that interview process, if you read, um, you know, con- the controller Reinhardt's report on it, in the interview process, when he was trying to figure out if she was the right fit, he asked her about her use of um, non-lethal, non-lethal munitions in Portland uh, and her comfortability around deploying those uh, non-lethal munitions. And she, you know, said, yeah, I did. I did use sound grenades and, and rubber bullets, et cetera, um, and uh, lots of pepper spray, um, elevated pepper spray in Portland, and she wouldn't hesitate, really, to use them here. And we saw that with the uprising, right? She had decision-making power because Kenny basically said, you know, I'm going to defer to you, um, Commissioner Outlaw, about what to use. And you saw her using indiscriminately three times over the, 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 the protesting days tear gas and, bullet, and rubber bullets. And so here you have a black woman um, at the helm of the police department deciding to use these, these really caustic agents and impact weapons on peaceful protesters. And, and so that shows you that, yes, yeah, she's rooted in the same legacy that Rizzo was rooted in, which is we're going to make you bow to my will. And even in a, a quote from her time in Portland in 2018, she said, in response to protesters, we are going to fight. So that tells you her position on this. She sees it as antagonistic and, and, and not protective, right, as her role as police commissioner. And so if you have someone like that, you know what the response is going to be. 
You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM. We are in the pastor's office talking to Abdul Ali A. Muhammad uh, about the legacy of Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw. As we shared early on, uh, she resigned this week. Uh, her last day will be uh, September the 22nd, and she'll be moving on to the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey uh, to take a high-profile role there. Uh, Abdul, I want to I want to ask you about the statistics, you know, because a lot of times, you know, our opinion of behaviors and actions are subjectives, but the numbers tell it all. Uh, So talk to us about crime statistics under uh, Commissioner Outlaw, gun crime statistics, murder rates. You know, what has your research shown you there? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the numbers, we know that Philly has seen an overwhelming level of increase of gunshot deaths and, and gun violence and in and, and the most marginalized zip codes, right, and zip codes where um, the history of redlining persists. And so we know under her reign, we've seen an increase that kind of shows the same amount of numbers from the early 90s. If you're looking at the, ni- the early 90s in Philadelphia and the amount of violence and violent death and homicide, and if you're looking now, you can kind of see a trend there. Um, and we know that that was exacerbated by uh, a, corona- a coronavirus pandemic, which is still ongoing. Um, and we know that other things structurally caused some of the, the, the increase in, in the violence we see. But her tactic, if you were looking at numbers, did not diminish the violent crime in Philadelphia. In fact, violent crime has continued to increase in our city, um, including the proliferation of ghost guns and other modified weapons, as we saw with the shooter in, in, West, in southwest Philadelphia, um, you know, some months ago. And so you have, you know, overblown responses in certain if, in certain events, <laughs> then you have this lack of response in others. I mean, we know we know for a fact that a homicide victim had been laying dead for a day before any response happened, even when people called 911 for a response. So you have, you know, a non-response there, and that was before the, the shooting spree happened the day after, right, in southwest Philadelphia. And so you have these, like events where there's a non-response or a late or delayed response, and then you have other events where it's completely overblown and they're um, using tactics that are, are tactics of terror for, for communities of color. And so I think if you're looking at the statistics, there's no way you can cut it and say that this commissioner has been helpful in decreasing crime in the city. And I would venture to say that's probably why she's taking somewhat of a non-lateral move to be a you know security chief at the Port Authority in New York. You know, um, I'm, I'm I'm curious uh, when we talk about Commissioner Outlaw. Uh, one of the things that I talked to her about on several occasions uh, was the fact that I did not believe that. And who am I? I'm just somebody here in Philadelphia that has just observed over the years. Uh, But I just did not believe that crime uh, was going to come down in this city until we truly embraced 
the mindset of community, true community policing. Uh, and one of the things that I, I had shared with her is that, you know, our studios are in the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia. And let's face it, uh, everybody's eyes are on the Frankfurt Kensington section of Philadelphia right now uh, because of what's going on in the area. And I said, you know, I, I see police cars posted up on each corner. I see them there. But what I see when I pass them or when I have my members go out uh, to, to take them, you know, sodas or juice or chips or something just to let them know that, that we're here to support, what I see them doing is sitting on their phones, you know, search, uh, going through social media. I don't see them out walking the community and getting to know the people of the community to build trust uh, and to build true relationships uh, within the community. Uh, so so that, that, there's two parts here. So one is, you know, the, the lack of an effective implementation of a true community policing policy, but also one of the things that I've heard a lot of people say uh, about her tenure, and, and, and again, I'm trying to learn, I want our listeners to learn and have an objective opinion to her legacy, but one of the other things I heard is that when major occurrences took place here in the city, she didn't show up. You know, she wasn't around. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two points? Yeah, I think I think you're onto something when you talk about community policing. In my mind, I think a lot about community control. There's other things that are young people, because we're just talking about young people when we're talking about violent crime in the city. That's the overwhelming amount of folks who are dying. We need to talk about conflict resolution, conflict mediation, right? We need to also talk about harm reduction approaches to the gun crime that we see, including providing bulletproof vests and gunshot wound, you know, training for young people, and also safety around firearms. And I know this is going to seem controversial, but they're using weapons. And so we, we should be engaging with them around safety, around gunshot wound training and care and also um, providing bulletproof vests in the highest hit neighborhoods. And in terms of uh, outlaw not showing up, yeah, we've seen a pattern of her not showing up or showing up too late or talking about something too late in her tenure. And I think that the, the problem here is, and you mentioned this earlier, is that Philly has never truly extricated the Rizzo infrastructure in, in the police department, in, in the city politics in general. City, Philly is a, as a, as a lifelong Philadelphian born in Philly, Philly is a segregated racist town. And it's a city, but it's a town <laughs> and, it's, and it's racist um, operations. And Rizzo really held tight reign, not only over the, the police department, but as mayor over the city, the city's politics. And just because we don't have a Rizzo statue anymore doesn't mean that we don't have people who, who, who love his legacy here in Philly. And so we really need to uproot that within in the city in order to, to honestly to respond or even engage community around this conversation of community policing. And then in terms of outlaw, yeah, at oftentimes you would see her, she seems defensive, you know, in terms of her response to her criticism around the tear gassing, she was very defensive, often defensive in her posture. You know, there was a time when she, I think, took a knee um, at a protest during the uprising. 
and I was so disingenuous because you, you took a knee, but then you tear gas people. So I think the challenge here is Philly has proven itself to be a city where identity in terms of racial identity doesn't matter for politicians or people in power. We saw that with Mayor Good. Mayor Good was a black mayor, but a black mayor who, who oversaw a bombing on Osage Avenue. So we can't, we can't just take someone's identity and say, oh, as a black woman, she's going to be good to us. Because she's still a black woman in a position of power that is based on terrorizing black people. Hmm. That's the history of policing in general um, within the context of the United States. So she's at the helm of an institution that came before her and that will be here after her. And she's an operative within that. So that's how we have to address people in these positions of power, not as, oh, she's a black woman. Yes, she has those identities, but in her uniform, she's a cop and she's the head cop. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM. We are in the pastor's office talking to Abdul Ali A. Muhammad, uh, and we're talking about the legacy of Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw, who just resigned this week. As we prepare to close this interview, um, we know that in May, uh, the Democratic nominee for mayor, uh, Sherelle Parker. Uh, we know that the Republican nominee uh, for mayor ended up being David O., who, by the way, was supposed to be here live with us today on the show. Well, we'll figure that out later. But when administrations change, typically, uh, in a lot of cases, the top brass in the police department, the fire department, the, man, the city manager, etc., uh, etc., et they leave. Uh, I know right now um, we're wondering if uh, Adam Teal uh, is going to stay on with the fire department. I absolutely believe he's done an excellent job. Uh, Tumar Alexander, city manager, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? We've heard some rumors about who might be coming in in that position. Uh, uh, Do you think, uh, Abdul, that uh, maybe members of the... uh, Incoming mayor's team, and I and I and I, I know I say that with certainty, but uh, typically the Democratic nominee in Philadelphia becomes the mayor of the city. Uh, do you think that operatives from the incoming mayor's team may have uh, given outlaw a vote of no confidence, and she went to seek her fortunes elsewhere? You think that's what happened, or do you think it just was just a natural move at the end of Mayor Kenny's administration? I think um, just knowing how, you know, these things happen within city government, um, I think it was, yeah, I think a message was sent to her about, like, there might might be need to to shift. I know from what, you know, the, I guess, presumptive mayor, um, I don't know if we can say that, has stated about her approach to crime is that she wants to come at it harder. Um, and so she wants more cops and she wants uh, rapid response. Um, and so I, I think that that's probably why. Um, and she wants to decide on who that person is. And I feel like, you know, looking at the presumptive mayor's um, track record, she, she likes to have people from Philly in positions of power. So it's probably going to be someone local and entrenched in that institution rather than an outside pick. And, and that's, 
I think you're going to see that across her cabinet. Absolutely. Well, listen, uh, Abdul Ali A. Muhammad, I want to thank you. Uh, for joining us in the pastor's office today. I know you're in New York City, but I feel like uh, our listeners uh, needed to hear an educated opinion on the legacy of Commissioner Outlaw. Uh, we'll probably bring somebody else in that, that, that might have a, a different opinion, but but we wanted to start with you because we know the work that you've been doing here in the city. So thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us, uh, and we look forward to having you back on the pastor's office in the future. Thank you, Pastor, for inviting me into this space, and I'm available anytime to come to the pastor's office. All right, sir. Well, be careful out there. Uh, hydrate, 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 and we'll talk to you again real soon. All right. Take care. All right. And listen, we'll be right back after these commercial messages uh, to hear an interview that we conducted previously uh, with the Republican nominee for mayor, David O. Uh, again, he was supposed to be here uh, live on air. We don't know what happened. So I do believe in giving every side an opportunity. So we're going to run an interview that we conducted with him right before the May primary. Uh, so don't you dare go away. We'll be right back with a previously recorded interview with the Republican nominee for mayor, David O.